Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, empowering filmmaking entrepreneurs. Hey, welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. Yes, this is the podcast where we empower you, the filmmaking entrepreneur. And a great way to get started is to get the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion while doing it. It's available in paperback, Kindle ebook, as well as an audiobook. And in fact, you can get the audiobook for free when you go to survivetheimplosion.com. That's survivetheimplosion.com. All right. In this episode, the indie film coach, Ron Newcomb, interviews Greg Green, who is an award-winning producer, director, and screenwriter. Greg won Best Picture and Best Director at the Houston International Film Festival for his psychological thriller, Three of a Kind, which is now on Amazon Prime. You'll hear Ron and Greg discuss filmmaking through the writer's lens, which reminds us the importance of the power of story through structure, dialogue, and even flashbacks that can be used in strategic ways to reveal character. Plus, how does someone over 40 living outside of Hollywood make things happen? As a reminder, uh, Ron Newcomb has his event coming up called the VIP Film Summit. Just go to VIPFilmSummit.com for all the details. Without further ado, here is Ron and Greg here on the Film Trooper Podcast. All right, we are all set. Uh, today we have with us Greg Green. Now, Greg, uh, so appreciate you jumping in and uh, just giving us a, a little bit of, of insight and wisdom from the experience that, that you have. Uh, here over at Film Trooper, of course, we are really trying to hyper-focus on the filmmaking entrepreneur journey. So why don't you tell us a little bit of how you got started into filmmaking in your own journey? Well, it's interesting. I felt like I was drafted. I, as just a, a little kid, I felt this desire to write stories, and I turned those into short scripts, and then I produced these plays that I would put on in the neighborhood for the neighborhood kids, and just got a big kick out of that. And uh, I also was fascinated with magic. I, I did a lot of magic tricks, and and it's ironic because those two things are really an important part of being a filmmaker. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so uh, I I saw this ad for a homemaking a home movie outfit thing, and I talked my parents into buying it. So I turned these little plays that I've been writing into little movies. So I made a whole bunch of little movies, one after the other. Each one I, you know, I made, I, I learned more. That doesn't work. That works. That doesn't work. And, um, and then by the time I got to high school, I was invited to show one of my films to the assembly, and it was met with a lot of enthusiasm. Of course, I was hooked at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Once you get a whiff of that. And, yeah. uh, and then um, I went to local college to start with and uh, found out that there was a national film workshop that was being sponsored by Warner Brothers. I, oh, I want to be a part of that. So um, I went ahead and there's only going to be 12 people selected from across the country. And I thought, well, you know. All you can do is is uh, see if you can uh, to be accepted, and I was, and that was a significant four weeks that I spent at the University of Iowa in Iowa City, where it was held, and then eventually transferred there after that experience, uh, studied film, and you know it's that's what I've been about since, and it's been a great journey. Yeah, yeah. 
No, definitely. It, it, uh, it really resonated with me. You had written a guest blog post on Stage 32, and when I was reading that post, everything that you were talking about, it was just like firing off like, yes, yes, yes. You had written some kind of pointers. And I, I do some uh, coaching um, uh, over at Indie Film Coach. And so from time to time, I get pitched, you know, quite often, in fact. And I see a lot of the same mistakes uh, going on. So a lot of what you were addressing, uh, I so appreciated. And what I appreciated more is, is that it wasn't just coming from a writer's point of view only. Like you really are, you know, um, writer, director, producer. Well, let me throw that question out to you. Have you zoned in on kind of one particular thing? Like what do you really kind of see yourself more as now? Are you a writer, director, or just kind of a jack-of-all-trades type? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I really think of myself as a writer, producer, director, and the reason why is that I have found that is the most effective way to get my stuff done. Yeah, right. Here, here. Yeah. Right. So you roll up your sleeves, you figure it out. Yeah. Now, do you do you kind of stay in a particular genre? So I have a, a small studio company called Ford Studios, and we primarily focus on fantasy and sci-fi. For the, for the niche reason, quite honestly. I love those genres, but it's really for the niche. Do you stay in a particular genre that, that you try to navigate in generally? It, it seems to, I seem to be drawn to drama mm-hmm. and psychological thrillers. Mm. Uh, the, uh, the three uh, projects that I'm currently working on that are in development in various stages are all dramas, and two hmm. of them are psychological thrillers. So I love the genre you work in, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where I seem to be the most comfortable, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. No, when you when you find that uh, something that hits you, you know, it, it resonates like at your core. So you end up kind of, and you know, it does get a little easier. Like it's never easy, you know, in filmmaking. Uh, but that left does seem to be a little bit more, um, with that. Now, do you generally do, uh, union projects? Are you yourself union? And then follow that up perhaps with where you film. Cause again, filmmaking entrepreneurship, Hollywood no longer is, is a, is a GPS location, right? It has definitely become a, a global kind of phenomenon. So, uh, yeah, union and, and then where do you do it at? Right, I used to be a part of the union, and uh, I just found that to be too constricting. So I'm not part of the union anymore. Yeah, I really am a truly an independent filmmaker. Our, our film, that's my most current film, Three of a Kind, which is a uh, psychological thriller that's currently on Amazon Prime. And, uh, and if, if you watch it, leave a review. Yes. I appreciate it. No <laughs> doubt about it. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I really, the union thing, I mean, as far as that goes, um, I, I really like to utilize the Screen Actors Guild. So mm-hmm. There is a union involved with the uh, filmmaking process for me. Um, and uh, I, I just... I just feel more free as far as where I'm located in Boise, Idaho, okay. which is a terrific place 
to make movies. Uh, again, I used to be in the LA area, and it, it just it drove me crazy, Ron. It, <laughs> for some people, it's terrific. I get it, but you're right. You can be literally anywhere. Our our film Three of a Kind takes place in Chicago. And it was all shot here in Boise. I, I sent a crew to get some B-roll of Chicago and cut that in, right? Uh-huh. But you can make it work. This place, Boise, Idaho, you can make it work for just about anything. It it, uh, it uh, represented Chicago. It represented Buenos Aires. It represented Canada. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, right. And you know, you'll appreciate this as a filmmaker. Uh, you know, in LA, when we would shoot, you know, in let's say a neighborhood, uh, the first thing that would happen is that everyone would come out, start their lawnmowers up, you know, and, and because they they expected a, a production assistant to come around with a roll of twenties, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, here we did the same thing. We had a couple scenes uh, that we shot for three of a kind here in a neighborhood and just the opposite happened as a matter of fact a, an older woman from across the street baked cookies for us and ah, nice for the yeah so it, it's so welcoming here and i i love it it's so refreshing yeah you know like so i'm i'm just outside of washington dc in virginia and uh you know i always tell people because i i too did the la thing for a very brief moment and uh came back i'm not, and i'm not anti right i'm not anti but it just, like you say, you know, at least wasn't for me, at least in that season. Who's to say I'm, I'm, I might go go back or something. But there, I'm just another filmmaker. But here, I'm a filmmaker. And just that kind of uniqueness has a tendency to open doors a little bit. And it uh, creates kind of a unique factor where people are like, you know what? Yeah, I think we can do that. Or yeah, we will do that. It's they realize they get it that you're in the grind of trying to tell a story in an independent variety. And so um, a lot of people jump in on that. So no, I I too can resonate with that. The small town kind of feel. So I wanted to uh, think through the filmmaking, filmmaking entrepreneurship and look through the lens in, in this case, of a writer, if that's okay for a little bit. And certainly our producer's hat and our director's hat are going to gonna invariably come in at, <laughs> at elements. But just looking through the writer and knowing that uh, story is king, right? Without a great script, you're not going to get far. It doesn't matter if you produce it yourself or not. Um, in, the, in the blog that you wrote on, on Stage 32, which I encourage people to go, uh, to go take a read, uh, it does seem that you were really big on structure. And some people hear that word and run for the hills. Why is that? Explain a little bit of why you're big on structure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because that's exactly what I'm encountering as well. People do not want to have to follow the rules. Well, I found out the hard way. I produced a film with a, a friend uh, early in my career, and it was a terrible script, and it didn't subscribe <laughs> to structure. And I told him all the way through, this is not going to work, this is not going to work. Oh, yeah, it'll be great. We'll fix it in the edit. And, of course, that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, so that was the hard lesson, right? And I am a big advocate of structure, and particularly the three-act structure. Now, there's a lot of folks that say, ah, oh, three-act, you know, what, what are you talking about? But for me... Personally, 
I love it because it allows me to tell a story that has a beginning, middle, and end. It keeps me focused. It keeps me honest. And, you know, when you look at films, I mean, uh, I don't know, Ron, if you had a chance to see The Big Sick. Hmm. No, I haven't. Well, it's doing really well. It's one of the most successful independent films of 2017. Oh, wow. Uh, it's just terrific. And, of course, it subscribes to the three-act structure. The Beguiled, uh, which is Sofia Coppola's newest film. Sure. And then you go back in history, Citizen Kane, It's a Wonderful Life, The Wizard of Oz, Psycho, Star Wars, The Graduate, Sunset Boulevard, Jaws, E.T., they all subscribe to this three-act three structure. So my philosophy is, okay, it worked for them, it's going to work for me. So I used uh, four, three of a kind, and it worked out terrific. Well, all my scripts that I um, write now, I always use the three-act structure, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, no, it's kind of like martial arts that I feel like you have to do the basics and and learn the rules in order to break them when need be. But don't do it just out of spite, you know, just because you hear like you're not supposed to you're supposed to follow structure. And just because you're anti, you're going to you're going to go against the grain. There's extreme value in structure. I'm a big proponent on structure myself, and I get a lot of grief for that also. And it's because. I write complicated stories otherwise. I write them naturally anyways. And filmmaking, especially independent filmmaking without a major studio backing you, is hard enough. You don't need to try and reinvent the wheel and try to be so unique that you're not even familiar. You're just out there, you know, and it becomes crazy, not prolific. And you want to be prolific in your craft, not crazy. When you hit the, cra- the crazy zone, you're, you're done for. So when you're developing characters in your writing, do you have a, um, a process for developing your characters and then a, a kind of secondary follow-up? Because I'm in the midst of this right now. I'm, I'm in a rewrite right now on a script. I have a steampunk Western sci-fi. So this is a, a bit of a selfish question, question, if I'm honest with you right now. Um, do you go through a lengthy character development process as well while you're developing your characters? I do. I, uh, I start with the story, and then I think about, of course, you know, the characters that play into that story. And then what I do as an exercise is I will take each character, and what I'll do is I will write a story about that character. I'll talk about their background, their childhood, likes and dislikes, um, you know, their motivations, what they want to accomplish, uh, what makes them laugh, what makes them cry, you know, that type of thing. And I'm, I'm making this stuff up, right? But when you're writing, at least for me, when I'm writing the story about a character that's going to be in my story, there are these things that just start happening magically and I'm just typing. I'm just like, you know, dictating. Yeah. <laughs> and that's awesome. When that happens, I'm sure you've experienced that. Yeah. So I do that with all my characters and then it, it's in your brain and it's percolating. And then as you develop the story that those stories that you wrote for your characters come into play. And, and then it becomes a, a, a richer, um, there's more depth there for your characters, and therefore they seem more real. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I, I agree with that. And, and although, you know, sometimes I try to jump that part of the process, I, I pay for it every time, you know, cause you, I don't know them intimately as I should. And so when they, I back them into a corner, they, I, you know, they can't get out sometimes. I, <laughs> I gotta go back and, and start again. So in the article you had, had mentioned, you know, we hear this term a lot and I just wanted to, to kind of get a little further thought around it is, uh, what did you mean by show, don't tell? I'm glad you asked that question because I see this used, misused all the time when I'm reading the scripts that are submitted to me. It, it just drives me crazy, and it seems so obvious to me, but apparently it's not an obvious thing. Um, the best way to explain the, the show, don't tell, is with a couple examples I have. And one of them is from the blog, so uh, I'm just going to read it anyway. Uh, all right, this is what you're not supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. Here's an example. Michael spots Sarah dancing and having fun with a lot of people at a house party. She smiles and motions him to come over. Okay, well, the information is there, but it just kind of lays there. What we're talking about is writing first of all you, whoever's reading your script needs to be engaged we need to engage that reader from the very beginning correct all the way to the last page so a way to do that is to show not tell so here's an example of the same scene but now showing a steady stream of high school couples pushed by Michael as he makes his way through a darkly lit hallway carrying two beers. He suddenly bumps and almost loses his grip on the cups when he spots a dancing Sarah. From across the crowded living room, she smiles and motions him to come over. So you can almost see, well, you can see the impression mm -hmm. shots uh, when you see that. And it's a lot more interesting than Michael spots Sarah dancing, having fun with a lot of people at a house party. Right. So, that's what I'm talking about. Another example is uh, from uh, the movie Psycho, which everyone should see. You've seen it, of course. Oh yeah. Okay. Great, great, great. Movie. You know, it did. It did take me a little bit to watch though, because it was on my list, but I just never got around to doing it. And and I was taking a uh, like a writing. That's what it was—a writing class, and they had it as one of the you need to see this. And thank God they did, because it forced me to have to go and watch it. And of course, it's brilliant. So please carry on. Well, it is. It is brilliant, and I have to tell you a very quick side story here. My mother-in-law. This came out in 1960. My mother-in-law at the time was so terrified of this film she wouldn't go near a theater. <laughs> I mean, just yeah. So. I mean, it, it, I wish, you know, we could watch these films and go back and experience yeah. that, right? But we can't. But anyway, um, here's an example, and it's right after Mary is brutally killed in the shower, so the, the famous shower scene. So here's, here's an example of telling, this is what I don't recommend. Mary's lifeless body lies contorted in the blood-stained bathtub. The folded newspaper still sits on the bedside table just outside the bathroom. Showing, and this is lifted directly from the script, this is an excellent example of showing. Lying half in, half out of the tub, the head tumbled over, 
touching the floor, the hair wet, one eye wide open as it popped, one arm lying limp and wet along the tile floor. Coming down the side of the tub, running thick and dark along the porcelain, we see many small threads of blood. Camera follows away from the body, travels slowly across the bathroom, past the toilet, out into the bedroom. As camera approaches the bed, we see the folded newspaper as Mary placed it on the bedside table. Mm. I mean, my gosh, it's, it's terrific. I mean, you're there. That's what I'm advocating. And, and again, I, I see uh, just the opposite of that. It, we, it, it's confusing. I, one thing I want to say is that we're writing a script, right? So there's that tendency to, un- <laughs> to forget that it's going to end up as a movie. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we have to constantly remind ourselves. This is a visual film. Uh, this will result hopefully in a visual film, not a novel, not a story. Yeah, I say that often that uh, films are meant to be seen, not read. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I also appreciate that is, is that your don't do and your do versus this example is I can actually see your don't do like in an early draft, thus you know, emphasizing also the need to writing is rewriting is sometimes I just need to get it out of my head and onto the paper and try not to be so poetic. And then I go back in and can really finesse the visual aspects of it. And I could almost get a sense and depiction of, you know, first draft through final draft and, and how you can wordsmith this and really umph it up. And to me, that's it is encouraging that I can go back in and tighten it up and pull out what's already there. That's a terrific uh, example because, yeah, uh, nothing is written is rewritten. Mm-hmm. I know that you know that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, get it down on paper and you can go back and uh, turn it in. You know, from telling to showing. Yeah. So you know, there are when you post something out on social media. You know, there are things that uh, people call grammar Nazis that you just, you know, they're going to be militant about your grammar and punctuation. And admittedly, I am not the best at that. When I'm writing my screenplay um, and I uh, am actually sending it out to someone to read, it's not my wife reading it. This is and maybe not even like a producer to read it, but this is definitely that second tier kind of thing. In writing dialogue, do the rules of grammar still apply? Well, that's, uh, again, it depends. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you have a college professor speaking uh, to a student or maybe to a class in a scene, the grammar, it, it, it better be absolutely correct. But if you've got a street smart young guy who's, you know, using slang and whatever, that's a different story. Again, that goes back to, well, who is this character? Uh, but the, the thing that I'm seeing is that when somebody who is well-educated and well-read is represented in a script speaking, and I see all these grammatical errors, it drives me crazy. <laughs> They're not being... Yeah. <laughs> we're human. We, we all are, I mean... 
my God, I mean, I make so many mistakes in that regard. What I do is before I send out a script, I will sit across the table from another person. We'll have two copies of the script and with a ruler just moving down wow. the, uh, the page. And one person's reading it, and then, then you switch over. And you'd be surprised how many things that are caught by doing that. Wow. So I do that before I send it out. No, that's great. Wow, man. You know, so writing this steampunk western sci-fi, uh, my hero is, uh, you know, he's a he's a backwater town kind of guy, a, a guns reform gunslinger, unlikely hero type, and so his his you know uh, language is not all accurate all the time, right? So I've had some people point that out. I'm like, no, 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 that's, but that's his character. That's the way he's speaking. So, so anyways, no, I certainly appreciate uh, that insight. So just kind of moving down, down the thread as we think through writing and bringing forth a story to life and looking through that lens. Um, you know, if you're not a writer out there, you should be equipped like a writer at minimum. But I believe you probably got into this indie thing because you had a story in you, not just to uh, produce something. You know, most of us have something that we want to be a part of. So so let me think through a little bit about, um, and I'd love to get your insights on what you think of about voiceovers and flashbacks. Because voiceovers, you know, they, they kind of, the, the default is, is a story shouldn't need it. You know, and, and it's not a show and don't tell. And yet there's several of them that I can think of, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, all the, a lot of them that I love that kind of need, uh, need these things. What are your, th- but I, but I do get it. So I would love to just get your insights and thoughts about voiceovers and then also flashback sequences. Well, I, my feeling on that is if back in the day, um, if you had to use voiceover, that was a crutch. It was mm-hmm. a bad thing. I disagree with that. Mm-hmm. I really think it depends on what the movie is and what you're trying to do. If if you're having a hard time telling your story without it, my gosh, use it. I mean, for example, 2001 A Space Odyssey originally was going to have voiceover at the beginning and throughout. And uh, Kubrick, thank God, decided, no, you know what, that's a bad idea. And uh, he took it out. And, huh. and that was a really good decision because it, did, it, it was not necessary. Yeah, it wasn't needed. Yep. Yeah. In, um, in Psycho, this is not really, <laughs> it's voiceover, but when she's driving after she, uh, you know, takes the money and she's hearing all the voices in her brain, you know, that's perfect. That's yeah. That's a perfect example, right? Yep. And Apollo 13, uh, it would, again, Ron Howard used it brilliantly by having Walter Cronkite essentially, you know, give us... Another good example, yeah. Right, and, and that worked perfectly. We never questioned it. Terminator 2, uh, where the Sarah Connor character is giving us uh, mm. a lot of voiceover throughout, again, it works. And, you know, when it works, then... That's cool, but if it gets in the way, if there's a, another way not to use it, well, it might be considered. But oftentimes, it works really well within the context. Yeah, no, that's uh, those are great examples, and I do appreciate that we should proceed with caution, perhaps. But uh, it is a device to be utilized when you can do it. So, a quick kind of follow-up to that: What do you think a great way to get backstory? 
that you need to get out there that that's relevant out to the audience without it being, okay, now I'm going to tell you some backstory. <laughs> you know, how do we not fall prey to that? Yeah, that's, that's always the challenge for, for us writers as storytellers is how do you get that information told in a uh, unique way? Um, I, you know, I remember uh, a scene, um, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the film, but the, the character, the, the, the mom and the son were talking and there was a friend there in the room and she says, well, I gotta go to a meeting, I'll see you later. And just by saying that, we know that she's an alcoholic going to an AA meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a full-out flashback, and we, I had to do this in three of a kind. I had 15 years I had to tell. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, how can I do this? So what I did is I, I created a montage mm-hmm. and, uh, and made it very lyrical, and, uh, and it worked very well in the context of the story. Uh, in the natural... Uh, uh, Robert Redford film 1984 uh, there's a terrific sequence at the beginning not a word is spoken you figure out why he's in the baseball the relationship he had with his father his father dies and you know the, the whole thing is there and not a word is spoken it's, it's a perfect example of flashback done in a very elegant way so my advice is, you know, flashbacks are fine uh, if you approach it and if it becomes an organic part of your story. And that's, that's the tricky part. Yeah. <laughs> because people can uh, identify, oh, this is, you know, we're, we're just attaching this right yeah. now. And, and that, that becomes tedious. Yeah. So, um, in uh, a previous podcast, uh, I believe it's number 112, a gentleman named Alex over at Indie Film Hustle was talking to Scott about how in Terminator, uh, James Cameron dripped out a ton of backstory and it felt okay to us because he did it in the midst of a bunch of action and chaos. And so they're the main character kind of bringing us up to speed as they're in the middle of this car chase and he's shot and she's trying to treat his wound and the cops are on to him. And yet he's just giving dictation, you know, <laughs> like here's the world, here's the setup and what, what you find yourself in, in this new world, a little bit of the, the fish out of water kind of feel. So that was a, a good word there that I that I have been thinking about when I'm thinking of my rewrite and introducing a, a backstory. So in your article also, you had mentioned about how one can strategically reveal a character. And I thought this was a lot of fun and really made me look at like, dang, how did I introduce my guys and uh, making sure that I'm hitting this? Talk to us a little bit about revealing, uh, strategically revealing your characters. It's an interesting concept because we're exposed to it every time we watch a movie, a TV show, I don't care what it is, it's happening all the time. But you're not aware of it until somebody puts a spotlight on it and says, you know what, this is an example of strategically revealing your characters and info. And uh, as a filmmaker, as filmmakers, you and I, uh, we have to be conscious of this because it's part of the storytelling process and keeping our audiences engaged. 
whether they're reading the script, whether they're watching the resulting film. So here's an example. Again, it's from the blog, but, uh, but I like it. An example of what not to do. Five guys are sitting around a poker table. One player wins the hand. The four losers throw their hands down as the winner moves the pile of chips towards himself. Well, okay, so there's no uh, mystery, there's no mm -hmm. strategy at all, right? But then, um, if you write strategically, here's an example of the same thing, but written strategically to reveal characters. A pair of spectacled, nervous eyes look left. A sweaty, pockmarked face meets his gaze and quickly looks down. A steely-eyed player stares from across the table. The pockmarked face guy plops down three nines and two fives. Another player with elaborate forearm tattoos throws his cards down and abruptly gets up. Dressed like a mortician, the, revert, uh, the reserved remaining player does the same. The pockmarked face guy is wearing a hint of a smile as he moves the pile of chips towards himself. So as a filmmaker, when you're thinking about shooting this scene, you're not seeing anybody except this guy who has glasses on looking nervous. We don't know how many people are in the room. We don't know what he's doing. So we're, we're giving the, the release of information and characters strategically, and that's what keeps a reader slash viewer engaged. Yeah, no, I totally agree. When, when I read that, um, really resonated with me again which made me go back and like read read the my sections of introducing my characters because you only get that one shot at the first impression you know you're you're revealing them and and it's got to be in a cool memorable way you know my my friends always told me to to give your wife a proposal story right make it memorable make it meaningful because every girl get gets asked how did how did he propose you know so it's kind of like when you introduce your character, you get one chance to, to introduce these character and make it a story, you know, give something people to, to talk about. You know, one of the most iconic in my minds uh, that I just remembered so vividly and was young and impressionable, of course, is Darth Vader. You know, when he walked into that corridor and the bodies were there and the troopers, stormtroopers are there. I mean, it just, you know, that was the, the right way to do it. Uh, so no, certainly, uh, certainly epic. So another thing you talked about was, um, starting scenes at the beginning, uh, is, is an error. Uh, and talk to me a little bit about why that is. It feels kind of natural, like, oh no, I should start from the beginning and just flow through. But talk to me a little bit about strategically why I should reconsider that maybe. This is, this is a really tough thing to, to do, but once you know what you're trying to accomplish by coming in halfway through a scene, if you will, it becomes easier and easier. And, and again, the reason why I'm recommending this, and, and you see this again over and over and over, any kind of movie, any kind of TV show that's a good um, example of drama or comedy, for that, you'll see that over and over again. So um, the reason why I'm advocating this is that when you come in halfway through a scene, you feel like you have to catch up. Well, what what the hell's going on here? Mm -hmm. uh, my gosh, uh, 
you know, it's a classic example is what you just brought up is Star Wars. You know, at the very beginning, mm-hmm. what the heck is going on here? And who's this scary guy? And what a, you know, we're coming in halfway through, and when you see Rogue One, of course, that's yeah. the beginning of the scene, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I use an example, um, and again, I'm assuming most people have seen The Wizard of Oz, I, I hope, and it's certainly worth people's time. Uh, right from the beginning, uh, right after the credits, you know, you see uh, we're halfway through the scene, uh, and Dorothy's running down the, the road with Toto, the little dog, right? And she said, you know, she leaned, she stoops down to him. Uh, did she hurt you? She tried, you know, that whole thing, and then she gets up and runs, mm-hmm. and then goes into the farmyard, and we're trying, like, what is going on? What's she talking about? Who's trying to hurt her dog? So I think it's, uh, you know, The Wizard of Oz came out in 1939. Uh, There are countless examples before and after that where you see that. There, you know, are there cases where you can't do that? Of course. Sometimes you have to start at the beginning Mm -hmm. of a scene, but oftentimes you don't have to. You can come in halfway through and, and you know just create this intrigue that will engage your audience. And that's, of course, the, the goal. Yeah, no, I, I, on again, working on my rewrite, I went from kind of a, a whole setup sequence and it was a little bit more passive to now on my rewrite, they're literally first scene, first shot, they're in the middle of a shootout, you know? And, and to me, that feels right because it's all the questions that you're articulating is like, okay, who are these, you know, who are the good guys? Why are they getting in a fight and all these questions and it puts you right on the the edge of your seat there's tension almost immediately uh with that so i i agree with that i like the feeling of the audience feeling almost like man i need to catch up this story's out the gate uh i need to i need to pay attention it puts me on alert of what kind of movie this is going to be so uh i really appreciate that now I also throw my, my name in the hat as, as a, as an actor from time to time. That's what kind of started me off on this whole journey. Uh, and you like, you had mentioned about doing table reads, you know, and I think a, a lot of people get a lot of benefits out of that. But can you elaborate a little bit on table reads on the why and the how? And then I want to just, uh, follow it up with a thought that, uh, Scott over here at Film Trooper, what he did, an idea he did that I just loved and want to kind of get your thoughts about that too. Well, I recommend a table read and and the reason why is that when you're writing your script, oftentimes you're in this bubble and, you know, you're maybe reading it out loud to yourself and, and all that, but, you know, what really is instructive for me is to actually have actors who are interested in helping and pass out the scripts and do a table read and you'll find out very quickly, oh my gosh, that's not working at all. Or, wow, that's working really well, much better than I thought. And uh, that's the exciting part of that as far as how to do it. You know, who knows a bunch of actors? Well, oftentimes you can, uh, like there's a, a theater troupe in town or, or even put a, a, you know, an ad in Craigslist, all that's a little scary, but, uh, you know, to, to get somebody with some acting ability because it's not going to help at all if you get a, a bunch of folks that aren't actors 
that are just reading the script and reading. It, 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 it's a waste of time. You need to have actors that have some ability. Uh, and that's why I do it. I mean, every time I do it, it's just an unbelievably educational experience. Yeah, no, I, I definitely would agree with that. I've been a part of a couple table reads. We, of course, have done them as well. I do think that uh, you do glean major insight. I also think that you get buy-in from actors. The, a buzz begins to be build, which, of course, adds to to your pedigree of your film that something's coming coming it's almost like you know the jaws theme music there <laughs> you're sorry you're looking for the shark like there's a film coming there's an excitement happening hey, there's a table read going on i want to get in on that what's what do you got going on ron i hear you doing a table read you know this type of stuff it begins that i really liked it so let me tell you a little bit what scott did which again i thought was brilliant what he did was he actually read the whole script himself now, he's also an actor, and so he did give a little weight and merit kind of to, to each different character so you could kind of get a sense. But then he went in a, a step further and actually put theme music in there and had musical score. He had um, a little bit of uh, effects in there where you could hear doors creaking and a door slam or a scream, and it just was brilliant. I loved it. And I thought, wow, that's another way to do a read like this. And then what he did was he sent it to a few strategic filmmakers and got their insight. Uh, if you're familiar with Pixar's brain trust, he, he formed a little brain trust and got their insight from that. And I just love that, uh, that idea. Um, you, what's your kind of initial thoughts about, you know, just hearing that for the first time and, uh, you know, the value add that that might bring to the process? I think that's a terrific idea. I, I would take that a step further. And, and the other thing that I would recommend only because we're always looking for investors for our films and an opportunity <laughs> if you have a public reading where you actually have your actors on a stage at a table uh, and invite the public to that, you'd be surprised who might end up being in your audience. Mm -hmm. and with, with, to take Scott's idea, I mean, you could just, yeah, you could engineer background music and sound effects and almost like a, a radio show. Yeah. Used to be, you know, back in the day. Yep. But, yeah, and if you get if it's a great script, of course it needs to be a great script, and you've got actors who know what they're doing, and you have somebody in the audience that's really excited about what they're seeing and hearing, then then magic can occur. Yeah, it's a terrific idea, though. Yeah, no, it's it's phenomenal. So I I am a uh, a geek a bit, and so I have some friends that uh, do role playing games and and so forth. And they get all into it as well and really set the tone. And when they are developing their own stories, they have the same thing. They'll add music in or even certain little sound effects and stuff. And it really does create that immersive experience because, again, you're trying to showcase a visual medium by actually um, reading it. But in the mind's eye, one can see it. I think that's why they're so powerful and uh, and effective. So, you know, if... Again, for our listeners out there that are writers, I actually get pitched, as we were saying in the beginning, often 
from writers. And as an independent producer, who's also a director writer, and I'm in the same boat as you, I'm a little surprised at how often I get pitched. And I don't mean pitched of like, hey, can you take a look at my screenplay and give me any notes? I mean, they want me to do it. You know, they want me to actually produce it. And I just wanted to get, what are your thoughts? And then, you know, maybe you and I can exchange a little bit of ideas here back and forth with it about the idea of a writer, an indie writer, pitching an indie producer. I, I have that happen to me a lot. So you and I are definitely in the same boat. And it's really, it's very flattering and very interesting at the same time. And what I'm uh, surprised at is how unprepared they are. Uh, and it's, it's a little embarrassing. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I wrote the blog, too. Uh, but if they're in person pitching the idea, they don't even have a blog line yet. Hmm. They just go on and on and on and on. So... Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if you have the opportunity to sit down face-to-face with a person that might produce your script into a movie, uh, my gosh, you know, have, uh, have a pitch line crafted uh, that is intriguing and, and then go from there. And uh, the script then, you know, needs to be captivating, you know, from the very beginning. You know, we've talked about this. Well, I know you feel this way. If you don't have them hooked halfway through the first page uh, and keep them engaged all the way to the end, you might as well forget it. And I, yeah. there's so many scripts, right, that, that we have read, I, I'm sure, that it's just a disaster. It's just they have no idea what they're trying to say or do. And uh, so that's my advice to, to writers is to practice with a friend and have it succinct, professional, and you can smell desperation. I can smell desperation. Yeah. That's a turn off. <laughs> yeah, no, it is, isn't it? No, definitely. So uh, a real quick little uh, element that you, that you sparked the thought there about the first page. There are actually a few screenplay competitions that only do the first page, and that just shows you how powerful that is, you know, we just talked about starting the film or at least the scene feeling as though it's in the middle of the scene, not at the beginning of the scene. And it's imperative that the first page be capture you because the truth is this. We're all busy. I scroll through stuff. If something doesn't hit, I skim it. So if it doesn't hit me to make me go, uh oh, this this guy, this has a little meat here. I'm going to I'm going to need to read it. Then I'll start from the top and actually read it. But if it's because it's a commitment to read a 90 page script, it's generally going to take you 90 minutes. And that's just to read it without taking any, any notes. If I'm sitting down taking notes and all this stuff, well, then we're going to get a consulting fee. So <laughs> it, it is a commitment. So here's here's my thoughts, because, again, getting pitched a lot, I feel bad for for people that just say they're writers. If if you're an indie, part of my job as a coach is to show you that you're also actually a producer or you should be. You're never just a writer. If you're just going to be a writer, then what you need to do is focus on getting an agent. That should be your your sole mission in life because you're not going to get 
generally an indie producer to do your stuff. And here's why. This is Ron Newcomb's summation of why. I have 27 different ideas, and I don't mean ideas that are just ethereal ideas in my head, and I haven't written them down. I'm talking log lines with one-page synopsis at minimum, 27. Every film I've been a part of has taken me between five and seven years. I'm 44 years of age. (laughs) The math doesn't add up just with my own projects. And now you're asking me to put one of my projects that I love off to the side to develop yours. Now, I will say that if you saw yourself as a producer as well and you came to me with a package, and I don't mean a studio level package, I get it, we're all indies, but if you came to me and said, hey, Ron, I've got 25 grand or 50 grand already, or I have someone ready, or I know this actor, or I know this other producer, versus just throwing it over the wall in hopes that I'm going to pick your stuff up without you paying me, that just is not a realistic expectation. And I want to say the truth in love and just get that out there. The realistic nature is you're asking a lot from an indie producer and you're setting yourself up for disappointment after disappointment, thinking that you are getting thrown into the, well, I guess, you know, I just wasn't good enough for other. It isn't any of that. It's that just that the math doesn't add up. And I have my, my own stories. What we should be doing, another thing you can do is serve the other person first and then do an ask of your own. Don't come in with an ask. How about jump on one of my sets, give a hand, be a grip, be a PA, get some, you know, we had a saying uh, that you need to be invited over somebody's house and have meals with them three times before you ask a personal question because you just need to get to know the person. They need to see who you are, not email someone whom you just met on Facebook like, hey, I have a script. And then you just dive right in in hopes that I'm going to say, holy moly, you're right. I'm in, you know. But again, if you came to me with a, a, even a marginal package, I it, it makes it, I'm still likely not going to be able to because money's hard to raise. I, again, I, I only have a few people that I could even go to. It just makes it a challenge to put one of my 27 films that I'm hoping to get done in my lifetime on the shelf. So does that, uh, I see you nodding your head, Greg. Does that resonate there? Oh, that t- totally resonates, Ron. That makes absolute sense because, yeah, you're asking a lot of us to to do, you know, everything that you described just <laughs> is absolutely true. And it seems like common sense, but strangely, it, it's not when it comes to what Yeah. No, and, guy, and you know, look, I, I love filmmaking entrepreneurship and I love indie filmmakers. So I do hope that that scene and the spirit of which it is given is trying to help. Because, um, you know, again, we get pitched a lot and I feel bad. I just skim it and like, I'm sorry, you know, and you can, you can, Hire me, but I just can't do it on my own. So, so let me, let me drive over to, uh, you mentioned that you went to, um, was it, was it Iowa State? University of Iowa. Okay. University of Iowa and actually did go to film school. Mm-hmm. There's that, you know, never ending debate, never ending, Greg. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts about film school, yay or nay. And then I want to follow that up with, I'm a huge book person. 
I listen to audio books on a daily. When I'm going to the gym, I listen to my podcast. When I'm on a road trip longer than 20 minutes, I'm listening to, to a book. Uh, that would be another follow-up is what books are you listening to now or reading now rather and recommendations. So let's first start with film school. What are your thoughts around that? Film school can be beneficial depending on what your expectations are. Now, what I mean by that is I decided to go to the University of Iowa because I wanted to make more movies. I knew that's the only way I'm going to learn more about the craft is to make more films. So I found an opportunity because the uh, Warner Brothers Film Workshop was held there using the university's facilities. I had a behind-the-scenes look at what the University of Iowa was all about for a month. And I found that the professors there and the equipment and all that, that was where I was all about it. So I went there only because, well, I know I would learn from these professors, but mostly because I could make more films. So do you, should you attend a film school? If, if you have the opportunity to make a number of short films, that could be the best education you could possibly get because you will learn experientially how to make a film, what works and what doesn't work. Oh my gosh, I mean, Ron, you know this. I certainly know this. It's terrific. Oftentimes, uh, you'll encounter folks that are teaching classes at a film school who really aren't qualified. Sometimes there are, and there's a professor that I dearly love and learned so much from, from the University of Iowa. I still am in contact with this guy. Hmm. Uh, and he was, he was the kind of guy who did not mollycoddle anybody. I, I submitted my 10-page script for my senior film. And he said, Greg, this is crap. What are you doing? <laughs> you need to go back and, you know, da, da, da. And then 10 rewrites later, it was finally, and I, and I got to tell you, it empowered me because from that point I realized, oh my gosh, this really is important. So my, my advice is, yeah, depends, but I would just make a number of films and especially these days because it's easier to do. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I have heard it and I believe it. Now I did not go to film school but several times I even started at one point and was interested. Uh, and, and I have had people ask me that. And I always say, you know, nothing wrong with going to film school, but I would also try to ensure that I had a secondary degree and, you know, like business, for instance, or marketing. That to me, marketing seems like, you know, something that is really our secondary vocation as filmmakers. We're trying to get eyeballs on our stuff. And then also, Again, if I was like 18 coming out of high school and, and considering going, that's another good time because the life experience and all that is going to be beneficial regardless almost of what degree even. But you also are meeting and networking with people. You know, somebody in your graduating class might be the next Spielberg and all that stuff. And hey, it might even be you, but it's all about the networking. But at the end of the day, when you, somebody's watching a film, no one's looking for your degree uh, laurels at the end of the film. You know, it's... Was it a good story or was it not? So let's roll into 
uh, books. Do you have any books that you're, that just was like Ron, you know, or film trooper. If, if you're not reading, uh, you know, Scott's book, how to make and sell your film online and survive the Hollywood implosion while doing it. These are the books that I would say you need to read. What would they be? Well, I, yeah, I'm definitely going to read that book. No question about it. Uh, I tell you, this is the, the book that affected me profoundly is an autobiography written by Frank Capra. Hmm. It's called The Name Above the Title. Hmm. It, it profoundly affected me because he's spoken such a, uh, in an intimate way about himself, about his career, about it. And yeah, you know, it's not current, but the things that he's talking about are universal when it comes to filmmaking. So I would absolutely recommend that. And the other one is, is really, um, really different. So bear with me here. <laughs> it's called, the title is Your Body Believes Every Word You Say by Barbara Hoberman Levine. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is that we oftentimes are our worst enemies. Uh, we want to make films, but yet we put these obstacles. I can't do that. I can't. Do well, your body is hearing, I can't, I can't, I can't. What about I can, I can, I can. And when you start changing your mental attitude mm-hmm. to that, I can, I can, I can. I know you know this. I know this. Magic occurs. Mm-hmm. So I, those are the two books I recommend. I love it. Yeah, no, actually, I... Uh have an eclectic background, uh, you, people will learn, that I actually have a master's in counseling. So, you know, I don't think you need another study to know that so you thinketh, so you are. I mean, you you are who you say you are. And I firmly uh, believe that, you know. And as a, uh, again, another caveat, uh, I was a police officer as well. You learn about body language and so forth. And you know what, and, and we know as writers, right, about subtext, what they're saying below the surface, you know, below with what they're saying. And you need to, to have that tenacity, that self-talk matters. Now, I firmly buy into that. So we are coming up on the, on the hour, Greg. Uh, you talked about you have three projects in development. What are you working on next? And then let us know where we can find you and support you. And I'm definitely going to be checking out three of a kind on Amazon Prime for sure. But, but let us know because that I believe we need to be a fan of each other's. We have to be a fan of each other. We can't expect someone else to, to like our stuff if we're not a fan of someone else's stuff. And I'd even take it a step further to be an ambassador. And to me, that means letting people know about the stuff. You're buying it. You're letting people know. And Dagnabbit, you're leaving a review on Amazon because because we we know how much that matters. You know. Yes. So please talk to me. What are you working on next? And then where can people find and support you? My website is Greg Green films.com so it's g-r-e-g g-r-e-e-n films.com and uh you know latest and greatest is on there but what i'm most excited about is not on there because this happened fairly recently a very good writer friend of mine uh adopted a book and uh this is (laughs) i have to be very careful about what i say here but I'll, i'll just tell you uh what it's about, and you can fill in the blanks, but 
During the Revolutionary War in this country, Jonathan, a 13-year-old farm boy, is caught in a swirl of blame, betrayal, suspicion, and survival. He learns monsters are real, and war can make them of anyone, even him. And I am just lit up by this, and um, I've been working, uh, there's a, a new organization that was formed only a month ago, it's the Idaho Film Foundation, hmm. and it's brilliant because from the standpoint of finding money, and I understand you know, the concept, and I, I think you mentioned it in your podcast, the money is there, it's crafting the deal. And I love that philosophy. Um, the foundation allows investment into the foundation, and they turn around, and, and by, by the way, the person who's investing gets a tax deduction for all of that money. They take 6% and give the rest to the filmmaker. How brilliant is that? Mm -hmm. And then there's all kinds of advantages that we can talk about uh, directly with a would-be investor. But I'm working on that. I'm very excited. I also have another project um, called American Cult, and uh, that's uh, close to my heart. Uh, I wrote the script, and it has a, a terrific – it's a psychological thriller, and it's, it's about two people who are caught up in this cult and how they get out of it. And uh, it's it's a roller coaster of emotion. It's 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 unbelievable, and it's based on a true story. Oh wow! Wow! Yeah. So so I'm I'm really excited about what's going on. But I'm thinking that this the the film about the Revolutionary War young man is going to be the next project because it's it's just great. It just lights me up. Yeah, no, that's that's hitting me too. I, I, you know, historical fiction. I love it. digging that. Hey, you know, Virginia, man, we we're right here. So you should shoot in Virginia. I'll I'll help you out. Come on out. We can we can partner up on this. You know, and and I'm, I say that like jokingly serious because that's the other thing is is that we're a community, you know, and we we are a community of filmmakers that uh, that help each other and provide opportunities for all. You know, I believe in what I what's what I call sustainable filmmaking, not where one person goes off and gets rich, but where we can all have a house, two cars, a family and, and provide, you know, for that. At least that's, that's the dream anyways. Is there anything that I missed that you, you wanted to, to cover before we uh, take off? Yeah, Ron. And first of all, I want to thank you so much for this. It's terrific talking with you. And I would love to work with you in the future. I, I, we see eye to eye. Here's what I want to leave uh, your listeners with. And I, again, found this out the hard way. You must get the best actors you possibly can for your film. And it's not just the main characters. I'm talking about all the way down the line to the person who's not even saying a word in a scene. They all have to be terrific and you need to audition everyone and you need to video everyone. And to, I can't tell you how important that is. With three of a kind, we worked, and I again, I went into this knowing this, right? And we spent so much time finding the right people, and I'm so glad because it makes my job as a director so much easier. And I know you know this too. If you've got people who are 
great actors, and I literally did not say a word to these folks. They hit, they hit my um, my set. Uh, we did a, a dry run through. We still didn't say a word. I rolled cameras, and I'm here to tell you, magic occurred. Things were happening that I never would have imagined, uh, or I, I could certainly could have not have told them. Oh, and you need to do it. Well, I mean, what a terrible thing to say to an actor respect their talent and let them do their thing but please 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 take the time to find terrific talent for your film well thank you so much greg i so appreciate your insights i'm I'm glad you took me up on on this offer i do wish you the best success and i'm serious i'm going to go check out uh greggreenfilms.com and particularly over at Amazon Prime three of a kind we'll make sure we put all the stuff up in the show notes and Greg if there's anything uh, we can all do for you please do let us know otherwise we'll be rooting for you thanks so much for joining me thank you Ron I appreciate the opportunity All right, take care Film Trooper empowering filmmaking entrepreneurs 